my name is Mark Hannaford. I'm the founder of World Extreme Medicine and welcome to the WEM podcast. You know, if you're a doctor, nurse, paramedic or indeed any healthcare professional who has an interest in humanitarian disaster, expedition or extreme medicine, then this is most certainly the podcast for you. In this episode, we're talking to Elon Moss, the filmmaker who recently won the World Health Organization's prize for best film about his film focused on sleeping sickness in Central Africa entitled A Doctor's Wish. And it's certainly a film that you should watch if you've got 10 minutes. It's available on YouTube and we'll have it in the show notes at the end. Neiland is based in New York and works as a filmmaker, social advocate and a change maker. And we're delighted to have him on the show with us today. Elan, it's a real pleasure to, to meet you today, have you to join us on the webcast. As I said, it was inspired by watching your amazing film, A Doctor's Wish, about sleeping sickness in Central Africa. So, thanks so much for having me. Um, my name is Elon Moss. I'm, I'm here in New York right now, but um, I spent a lot of my time working uh, around the world um, for the Drugs for Neglected Diseases Initiative. So we were, uh, we're a not-for-profit drug development organization um, founded by Doctors Without Borders um, after they won the Nobel Prize in 2003. Um, and I guess I, I help lead on our storytelling efforts. So how to tell the story of the world's most neglected diseases and the uh, doctors and researchers trying to develop medicines. For them. So Elan, I, I was, you know, I was struck by watching your movie um, this week, which uh, won a prestigious prize by, awarded by the World Health Organization. It's entitled A Doctor's Dream, and it's a story of curing sleep, sleeping sickness in the, the, in the Congo. It's, you know, it's an amazing story, and it shows what passion what inspiration, what having a, a grand vision can achieve when you put your mind to it. It would be great to hear about how you got involved in that story. Yeah, so thanks. So I guess in this case, I'm really the storyteller. Um, so and myself and a team from South Africa. Um, so this is a production company called Scholars and Gentlemen. And uh, we made a film about this disease and about the doctors that treat this disease to celebrate um, an achievement. And this was a pretty big achievement that happened a few years ago. So it was the approval of the first ever all oral treatment for sleeping sickness. So this is a simple pill that you take um, a couple times a day uh, for 10 days. Well, actually a couple times a day for the first five days and then a single pill after. Um, now this is a huge achievement because this is a disease um, more than so many of these infectious diseases out there. It has a horrible, terrible history of some of the worst treatments you can possibly dream of. Treatments that um, caused people to scream out in pain as they were injected because they were based on arsenic. Treatments that were really heavy, needed to be lugged through the, you know, the rainforest to reach the patients um, that are affected by sleeping sickness. And treatments that killed people. So um, this is a famous treatment that sort of, I think, has gone down in um, a lot of history books. Um, it was called uh, Molasserpol, and it was based on arsenic. So this is a treatment that was developed um, during the times of the Belgian Congo to treat sleeping sickness, which was affecting a lot of colonists at the time, um, and obviously a lot of Congolese. Um, it is, a, is effective in killing the parasite. It's based on arsenic, but it also kills the patients. So um, around one in 20 patients, um, there's different, you know, there's obviously, you know, different views. There's not really any um, solid evidence on what happened, but um, doctors will tell stories about, you know, injecting the treatment into their patients and sometimes they literally slip away in front of their eyes. 
those that survived were cured, um, but they even had horrible, horrible, horrible uh, side effects from the, the treatment itself, neurological side effects. Um, so this is about a, a nightmare disease, um, sleeping sickness, so obviously evokes sleep, um, but it, it's not just like malaria. Malaria, obviously, we all know about malaria. Um, in its acute phase, sleeping sickness is a lot like malaria, fever, um, headaches, but it, in this really, uh, you know, at the final stage of sleeping sickness, turns people, it, it has these terrible, terrible, terrible psychiatric and neurological uh, symptoms. People sleep during the day, they're awake at night, but I think the, some of the scariest have to do with aggression. Um, people become a really unnaturally aggressive. We've heard stories of, I've heard stories in the DRC about um, children getting in fights at school, uh, families, you know, uh, wives hitting husbands, hus husbands hitting wives. One story that really always affected me is of a, of a preacher that took an ax up against his congregation. Um, then there's just this whole slew of other just really scary uh, symptoms that come along with the disease that, that have always sort of confounded the doctors that have tried to treat them because it is in the most remote areas of Central Africa. So this is a disease that's transmitted by the bite of a tsetse fly. It usually bites around uh, rivers um, and forested areas of Central Africa. It's often mistaken for malaria because in its first stage, it, you know, it, it'll uh, manifest itself, uh, present itself like malaria or some other, you know, febrile illnesses. So it'll lead actually doctors or even you know, local village officials to think that it's malaria or that it's some kind of, you know, illness linked with malaria. They'll give the, the, the patient malaria drugs, they won't work. Or, or sometimes the disease will just literally go away. Um, these patients uh, or these people will, you know, the symptoms will go away. They think they were cured, but it comes back. Um, you know, as the parasite goes into your, your neurological system, it goes in your cerebral spinal column, it goes up to your brain. Um, and that's when that second stage kicks in. So if you can imagine someone who's received malaria medicines, the fever went down, people said, okay, he's, he or she is cured. Then a year later, it comes back. Um, these people are often accused of witchcraft. They're often you know, ostracized by their community. So it's a- But I imagine in a traditional setting, it would seem almost with the neurological um, outcomes that they've been um, taken over by the devil because of their right. anger and their aggression. So culturally, it would have been quite a dramatic impact. Yeah. Yeah, so often we've heard witchcraft is, you know, is, people are often accused of, of having, you know, had a curse on them or being involved in witchcraft. It just creates all sorts of issues. Um, and I think it's important to say this is a disease that's gone, if you look at the, the sort of curves, it's, it's gone up and down. So horrible outbreaks at the, you know, at the, um, the sort of the, uh, the, during the Belgian Congo. So this is after King Leopold, which some of your... King Leopold, some of your um, yeah. audience probably knows about that history. Um, but during the Belgian Congo, there was really big outbreaks. The Belgians did um, run massive uh, disease or elimination campaigns. Um, and I have to say, they'd come pretty close to eliminating the disease by 1960. Um, then the Belgians left. And because of just the general chaos the country was in after the, the Belgians left, it started to creep up slowly in this, the late 60s, then the 70s, 80s, until these huge, these huge um, conflicts hit the, well, at the time, Zaire, and the 90s, and we just saw massive increases, massive outbreaks. And that's when Doctors Without Borders came. 
Um, that's when MSF, Doctors Without Borders, came, uh, sent doctors to the Congo, um, to Sudan, which well, now South Sudan, but Sudan, uh, Central African Republic, Uganda, um, to deal with these horrible refugee crises, um, you know, these two great African wars. Um, and the doctors were seeing these sleeping sickness cases because people were displaced. They were, you know, collecting water by rivers. Um, and the only treatment available at the time was a treatment that the only treatment that ever existed, which was arsenic based. Um, so it was the frustration of these doctors that were, you know, mostly from Europe. And they, MSF being MSF, they raised their voices and they said, look at this, you know, why are we treating our patients? Why are we killing our patients? Well, what's the reason? It's because these people have been neglected from pharmaceutical innovation because um, they live, there really is no uh, incentive to develop a drug um, for these patients. Um, the, the end result is, is, you know, we're injecting arsenic into our patients. So it was that clarion call from the field, from MSF that led to the, the development or led to the creation of my organization, which is the Drugs for Neglected Diseases Initiative. Um, when MSF won the Nobel Prize, they used part of that money to create DNDI. So we really, really, we were born from this frustration of doctors and the field and the DRC having to deal with sleeping sickness. But that's not what the film is about in, in some ways. We actually wanted to concentrate on the Congolese doctors because sure, MSF came in in the 80s and the 90s, but these doctors have been dealing with this um, ever since they started. Um, and this one doctor who's the subject of this film, Dr. Victor Conde, um, has been dealing with this his entire career. Um, and these Congolese doctors, you know, ever since the first outbreak started happening, I think in the 70s, they've been going out from Kinshasa, you know, from the capital, all throughout this massive, incredible, huge country um, uh, to the, these really remote areas, um, trying, to, trying to deal with these outbreaks often with very, very little um, in their medicine cabinet. They had the arsenic-based drug, um, but they certainly didn't have anything else. Um, they certainly didn't have what MSF had when they came in. Um, so it's just frustration. And the, and the transportation or the treatment was quite bulky in itself as well. So, you know, traveling yeah. rurally like they were, that would have been difficult in itself to get to, the, to where it was needed. Yeah, I mean, it was impossible. So the, some of the most affected area of, for sleeping sickness has always been this area called Bandundu which is, if you see a map, it's, um, it's the next province over from Kinshasa. Um, so it's, uh, it's actually not directly in, you know, one of the big rainforests or, you know, uh, sort of a giant, massive um, Central African rainforest that covers parts of uh, lots of Northern DRC. Um, it's, a, it's plains, it's savanna. Um, uh, there, it's sort of crisscrossed by these tributaries of the Congo and it is remote. Um, it is in some ways even more remote than some of these these areas around the river of the DRC. It just takes, um, you know, even with today's you know transportation, it takes you days and days to get out to these sites. You can't even get there by river. So it's it really defines remote. Um, and then there was these sort of um, these zones of the DRC where you had these these outbreaks. One of them is um, in the middle um, of the rainforest in the north. It's called Isangi. It's part of now Chopo province in the DRC. Um, you know, it's a, a few days downriver from um, Kisangani, which is sort of the end of the navigatable uh, Congo River. So it's extremely, extremely, extremely remote. Um, and uh, 
MSF actually sent, um, they opened a site there um, in this town called Nisangi um, to treat, this was a crazy story, but to treat the um, people fleeing the Rwandan genocide. So that were that, that fled all the way, you know the story, after 94, yeah. they, they fled up the Congo River um, into the DRC. Um, and so these were the, these were the Hutu, um, but they actually, they were the, you know, part of the, <laughs> the genocide, so um, involved in the genocide, but these were just women and children, um, nothing to do with the genocide. They had become refugees in the DRC and they were being chased by, um, by groups from Rwanda deep inside the DRC. And a lot of them ended up in um, all the way down in the middle of the country in Isangi and actually but, MSF. And their yeah. story in itself must've been incredible as well. Yeah. And MSF opened up a site at this one hospital called Isangi um, to deal with these refugees that have traveled thousands and thousands of kilometers into DRC um, being chased by, you know, by these, uh, these militias. And it was there that they, that they found these cases um, and found out this was actually a zone of, you know, heavy transmission of sleeping sickness. Um, so just what these these doctors had to deal with again the arsenic based drug uh, the, the just the lack of follow up when you gave these you know if you give these patients this arsenic based drug you need to follow up with them I mean, I'm not a medical doctor but I've worked with enough to know that you need absolutely you, you need to you know you need to um, uh, ensure that you need to check up on their symptoms I mean there is a way to 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 manage them. Um, after giving them, you know, if we were to give the arsenic-based drug in London, for example, um, I, there is a way you can you can manage, uh, you know, side effects. Obviously, in the middle of nowhere in the DRC, it's hard. So, well, and also from your film, you highlighted the fact that once treated with the arsenic-based drug, they then needed to stay in that clinic for for a number of weeks. Which, of course, if their family is quite a long long way away and they're having to one earn money for their family perhaps maybe they're the main breadwinner or indeed their family is going to is having to bring food for them that makes that quite a taxing um you know quite a burden on a remote family yeah so that's the interesting thing so so there was the arsenic based drug um and msf and dndi um together so this is when dndi was created we were able to, to deliver a treatment. Um, it's called NECT. You know, it's, it's nifurtamox and aflorithine, which are two um, uh, two drugs. There's a whole backstory behind aflorithine, which I can tell in a second or not. It's kind of a it's a rabbit hole. Um, but we were able to come up with a combination of this drug. But it's it's so it's a ten day course, but it's injectable. It doesn't kill you. Um, it doesn't have the horrible side effects. It's arsenic, um, and that was rolled out you know, over a decade now, uh, over a decade ago. So that was a good, you know, and we discussed that in the film that we were, we were able to replace the arsenic based treatment. Thank goodness. Yet the only option involves 10 days of injections, It's actually 14 days, but 10 of those you have, you're on, you have injections. It's three times a day. Um, you need to stay in the hospital. The people are brought away from their fields. Um, they can't, you know, they obviously, uh, they can't be with their families in areas where there's subsistence farmers that creates all sorts of havoc. And then just bringing this material, absolutely incredible, the fact that they've been able to do this. I mean, it's literally bringing these huge boxes of kit, you know, the boxes itself there in the film, they're making with my hands right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's only enough treatment for three patients in that kit. And it goes, it literally goes on the plane to the, well, the, the plane to the, you know, to the, to the vehicle, to the boat, to the vehicle, to the motorcycle, then the last bit is usually done by hand. And in, and in your film, you've got it laid out, haven't you? I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just a massive 
both uh, medication, but also the equipment that goes with that. Um, yeah. It's absolutely massive. Yeah, it's, it's massive. Um, it is effective and it's an injection. And I think the other problem with, with that drug is that, I mean, a problem, the, the other challenge with that drug is that it's, it's recommended for the second stage of sleeping sickness. Um, now, for the first stage of sleeping sickness, there's another drug. What doctors had to do is give everyone a spinal tap in order to stage them, because the only way to know at what stage they are. So if they're at the, the first stage, then they give them another drug. Um, if they're at the second stage, then they give this, you know, this nifertamoxifluorinethine combination drug. The only way to stage them, i.e. to find out, you know, if they have the parasites in their cerebral spinal fluid is to get a spinal tap, um, which is... You know, I've heard different views of spinal taps. Obviously, a lot of people have had them. It's not the end of the world, but again, it does hurt a lot. And that people don't want to, when you, when you tell people, listen, you've been diagnosed at the village level, you need to go in for your spinal tap at the hospital. A lot of people don't want to go. I can um, imagine there's a degree of reluctance. And it's just extremely, so it just, it just complicates the situation. So what these doctors were facing, you know, in, in these really remote areas are just absolutely, you know, absolutely incredible as far as you know the material needed and then just the, the, the process that they need to go through one of the remarkable world firsts that that's highlighted with the film is the fact that the clinical trials for the new treatment which as you said was one tablet or a couple of tablets was all done in congo itself rather than back in a, a controlled um, research environment i mean that in itself is just uh, a remarkable story just all by itself you know, take away everything else but to mount that type of um, project in deepest Congo, if we can use that as a phrase, um, is is truly remarkable and speaks of the to the of the dedication of the clinicians involved and all the logisticians and the just rem a remarkable story and, and you know an incredible world first. Yeah, I mean, in order to get a drug, so this drug was approved by the uh, by the, you know by the European Union. Um, by the, there's an agency within the European Union that approves drugs. So in the equivalent in the U.S. is the FDA. But in order to get that approval, you need to do, you know, world-class um, clinical research. So according to, again, I'm not a medical doctor. So I know you have lots of audience that are. So sorry if I make any mistakes. I'm just a storyteller. Um, but you need to get, trials need to be conducted with, you know, good clinical practice. So they need to follow these international guidelines so there was a lot of work. I mean, it even just started with going to these sites and renovating them so you could you could send samples, you could, um, you know, you had lodging so you could bring people in to spend a few days there working. Um, and it's, you know, we discussed it in the film, you can bring internet. Um, the internet's really important because they're actually taking videos um, of these samples, you know, during the trial um, to, to measure the parasite load and they need to upload those videos and send them um, to a uh, central data center. It's really would, would have been impossible without upgrading these sites. And they did them. Um, and I think what's incredible is, so this is in an area of the DRC that's not actually in constant conflict. You know, you've heard a lot about um, the Kivus, you know, up, out there in the East. That would be very, very difficult, but these are still areas that have seen lots of conflict. So the fact that they were able to do this was um, incredible. It got almost impossible in the Central African Republic um, so we did have trials there, but the conflict was just too much and trials did have to be stopped because uh, at some point you're you, people, that you, as you know, clinical trials involve lots of follow up and, um, okay. you know, going back and forth to hospital. And if you're putting patients in danger by this, you know, just doing their follow up, that can't happen. Whereas in, the, in these areas in the DRC, they weren't in active conflict. So it was just a matter of going out there, 
and getting these patients. And it's just a testament to these health workers. Um, that's why we were able to go there as a storyteller. And, you know, there's this one woman in the film, her name is Shahna, and she's sort of one of the subjects of the film. You see her in this, in this clinic at night, um, you know, saying, Papa Doctor, you know, she's in Lingala, saying, help me. It's very disturbing. I mean, it's in the middle of the night, you have this woman, you know, filmed with cell phone with this bad lighting. And it's like out of a nightmare film, it's like found footage. And, you know, she was this mild mannered farmer. Um, every night they were saying she would just get up and, and dance and laugh. And it was, I mean, it was kind of a thing out of a horror film. One of the doctors took this on his cell phone. And when we were sitting with him in Kinshasa, we were just, you know, we were, we wanted to tell the story. We wanted to find some patients to tell the, you know, to tell the story. And we were just looking through all these files and, uh, you know, he had his whole desk spread up, all his phones. His name is Dr. Wilfried. He's a great guy. He's in the film as well. I want to show you this. And he pulled out his cell phone. He's like, there's, you know, cause I was asking him about, you know, some of the symptoms I'd actually never seen. I'd seen in, in previous trips, I'd seen people that had just been diagnosed with sleeping sickness. You know, it, it was obviously they were, they were normal. They see, you know, and then I'd seen a few people at really the final stage. And it's, I mean, it's, it was something you wouldn't even want to show in a film because they were basically on a bed shaking and it, it's just not, not, not great stuff. I never really seen someone in that in-between stage where they had these crazy, you know, psychiatric effects. And he said, uh, these crazy neurological effects. And he said, oh, you showed me the video. How is she doing now? And he said, well, she's great. She received the drug in the clinical trial and she's doing fine. I was like, well, can we contact her? And, you know, so he pulls out the cell phone and, you know, and <laughs> he's there on the speakerphone with one doctor and then another doctor and another doctor, you know, in Lingala and King Congo in French. And an hour later, we're, we found her. Um, and this is, and she lived in the middle of the savannah of, of Bonnendu. And so this is a testament to, to um, actually have that all recorded on video is a great little video where, you know, he's got like three phones and on the speaker and, you know, um, you know, mama. Uh, and, and, um, and it's really a testament to, you know, these people that they know their patients, they, they really care about their patients. And, and you'd think that, you know, sitting in Kinshasa, could you actually find this, this woman? Yeah, um, absolutely. So it's, they're, they're really incredible. It's an, and we don't want to take too many spoilers away from people watching the movie, but it's an amazing story of, of humanity. And as you said, people's passion or clinicians' passions for their patients and the fact that, as you said, you know, they're back in Kinshasa, but they still care about the people they treated in the field. That's, yeah, it is a remarkably human story. And I think you as a, as a storyteller and a filmmaker got that across really, really clearly, which is, I think, one of the beauties of the, of the film. Not only the story, but also the way that um, the story was portrayed. What are you going? What are you working on next? So that's a good question. Um, so uh, the, the nice thing about this WHO film uh, festival is we also got a grant. So uh, you know, obviously we're an NGO. We raise money um, mostly. Actually, MSF are, are one of our biggest donors, which is great. Um, so, um, but we have a we have a large amount of funders um we we have the sort of same spirit of independent as msf is we don't have we try not to rely too much on one funder so we have this huge private fund now foundations governments but obviously the money goes to r d so you know uh we, we rely on companies like scholars and gentlemen who did this for nothing basically gave up their time to us which we're really just grateful to them um so we rely on you know on people that are willing to work for us and then we have a lot of the talent in-house as well and, you know the money from the who will actually be great and um, we want to reinvest that into filming something it could go both ways we're so we're working on a film so we um before this craziness happened um 
we had announced um, a, and there's actually a big article in the New York Times. It was in the front page of the New York Times on December 1st, 2000, and when was that? 19. Um, we announced a, the first really ever um, strawberry tasting HIV medicine for kids. So HIV doesn't seem to be a neglected disease, but kids with HIV are horribly neglected because unfortunately children are still being born with HIV in, right. in Africa despite efforts, you know, to stop mother-to-child transmission. But there's very few being born in, 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 in Europe and North America. So there's actually, there have not been any adapted drugs for kids. The one drug that was available, again, the same story, you know, the before and after. It's a, a, it's a solution called Lepanavir, and it's called Kalitra. It's Lepanavir and Ritonavir. It's two really powerful antiretrovirals for children. And it's 40% alcohol. Um, so mothers have to give this to kids, um, you know, with a, with a little syringe and the kids spit it out and they, you know, doesn't even, a lot of times they lose this efficacy because they're spitting out the medicine. So again, DNDI to the rescue, um, we're trying to develop four in one, um, actually have it somewhere. On it, but I'll, I'll show it to you, but you can see the New York times article four in one treatment, um, which is a little capsule, which you, it's in a powder. So you remove it and you can stick it on food. Um, and give it to the child, and it has everything a child needs. Um, we have been filming. Um, we've been doing the same type of film. Um, and uh, now, right now, things are just slowed down because of, of COVID-19, but we're hoping that this treatment will get approved. Um, it's been submitted to the FDA. We announced, um, that's what the New York Times article is about, we announced that it would be available for $1 a day for, for children. This is with an Indian generic company called Sipa. And we shot a film in Uganda, South Africa, and India, um, talking about, you know, again, um, this, this, this fantastic partnership between doctors, researchers, patients, and in this case, uh, an Indian generic company, an Indian company who develop medicines for kids. So um, same company in, uh, in South Africa. A um, little bit of a different vibe, but we're hoping to make another short film. We're, we are making a, a short film um, about this, and we're hoping that it'll also move people. Um, it's a little different. It's more. It's 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 about kids. It's about kids being left behind. Um, the news that COVID nineteen doesn't affect children as much has caused at least parents to act differently, for better or for worse. But um, three hundred kids die every day of HIV, um, and. You know, when you go to this hospital inside of outside of Uganda, where we filmed, you know, the, uh, the coffin makers are still making little, you know, kid-sized coffins, and um, those coffins are still for kids with AIDS, which they shouldn't be dying of that anymore. There are drugs, there are treatments. We're hoping to raise a little awareness about, you know, something that's maybe not as considered as neglected as sleeping sickness, AIDS, or HIV/AIDS, um, but about you know kids that are that are suffering from it. You know, you're making <laughs> making amazing films. I mean, we're really interested in supporting World Extreme Medicine in terms of spreading the word and helping you do that. So it'll be great to to stay in contact, to spread the news about your new films, and get you to present at the 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 World Extreme or well, the WEM conference, so more and more people can one hear about your work, but also gain inspiration themselves that as medics going into the field they do have a massive difference to make it's, you know please stay in contact i hope we get to meet personally at the explorers club in new york when these travel restrictions are lifted but thanks for yeah. giving me your time today you know it's been great talking to you and getting to meet yeah you thanks so much for having me thanks for all your great work we really need it more than ever now